After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. All glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scriptures will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Today we are wrapping up a conversation series on Jesus' prayer in John 17. I love the breadth of topics that we covered over the previous three weeks how oneness testifies about God, how we are the fulfillment of God's joy, and last, how eternity is a call to be present in the here and now. I love the richness of thought and conversation that has been cultivated by this prayer within our community. I found myself thinking about how to listen to the words of this prayer and live them out, especially in this era of COVID. Like most of us are living much more isolated lives. Like how do we practice being one 
when many of us have found ourselves being alone far more often than is good for our mental health? How do we believe that we are the fulfillment of God's joy when depression and bad news seem to be the only points on a never-ending monologue? How can we be present to eternal life in the here and now when here and now is physically distanced and self-quarantined? These are the types of questions that were raised for me as I reflected on the conversations from this past series. Today, we wanted to conclude the series by bringing it all together in a table talk. Melinda and I are gonna throw out some questions and some thoughts um, that we've had as we've journeyed through this series. And one of the things that we really haven't had a chance to do is to zoom out and take a 30,000 foot view of the prayer. And I think when we do take that 30,000 view foot of the prayer, it calls us to something very particular. It calls us to a sense of community and to a sense of family. And so, so before we jump into the table talk, Lynn is gonna give us a little aerial perspective on Jesus's prayer in John 17 and how it invites us into community. It invites us to go beyond just ourselves. Coming into this final day, we get to sit in the larger picture, like Carl said, of the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. Now, John 17 begins in Jesus saying that, I want to glorify my Father with the glory I had before the world was created. It ends with Jesus saying that, as I glorified you, bring me alongside you again. So we have this movement of Jesus saying that glory in this, we don't want it to be hyper-spiritualized. We want to understand glory in some of the way he was using that time period, which would speak of rank and a social class, which is why when it says, I, that which I had alongside you in verse five, we want to remember it's talking about when Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. So this whole thing is about the movement of Jesus coming to establish something here of letting go of power, letting go of position, letting go of authority to be able to come down with us. And what he established followed the ancient households. And ancient households worked through a mimetic, worked through the imitatable, not through just structure. It worked through being able to say, because of my father, therefore I will do. And as Dr. Elena said, she reminded us that the distinctive household dynamic in John's gospel is reflected in these last chapters from 13 to 17 as intimate, mutual indwelling of God, Jesus, and the Spirit with his believers. Highlighting this new perichoresis, the divine dance, John says, and now all will know that that which has been given to me has come from you, Father. Because of the words you've given to me, I have given to them. The closing of this section, the prayer explicitly calls us into this divine dance, into this perichoresis, into a place which is not reducible to a position, but needs to celebrate relationship. Because even Jesus' words are a dialogue, are the spoken rhema, not a written logos, are spoken words that can't exist in static, away from relationship, because it has to be between us. What does this dialogue invite us into? invite us into the multiple uses it has of to become like us when he says of him and the father to become like him the beloved one of the father and he says in that way they will know just as you have loved so we have this moment of connecting to all 
to where it's just as you'll see throughout it, which is the same word throughout with the text. That you get to enter and become like us, like me, and you join as an irreducible to its parts, unified trinity, becoming the sent ones defined by an expanding grace. Because Jesus, as the first sent one, only gave one commandment that he started off this whole section with. He said, then all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So it shows that everyone will know that you follow if you have love. And in this last closing prayer, he says, in order that the whole world will know that I was sent, you have to love, just like I loved. And it says that every, the world will know that you sent me, talking to the Father, that you loved them just as you loved me. So it shows that unity again, that, that singularity, that it's, this proves the whole world that Jesus came. The sole apology, the only defense, the one way others, the world, and future generations like us will know is if we imitate Jesus in his job to make known, and that is by expanding the us-ness. So to the degree that we expand family beyond blood and discover our place in the dance rooted within a particular community is the degree by which we've experienced Jesus's full joy made complete in us. It has never been about boundaries or limits. It's about adapting to the new stories being added to our community as the grace of God and the family of God spills beyond bloodlines to include as many people who will sit with us and join the dance. I'll say, I'll just start with this one because I know for myself, that was actually a big move when it was just a sinner's prayer, when it was my salvation, as opposed to like we heard in the Gospel of John, that last prayer to where Jesus said repeatedly that you'll be like us. When he said like us, he meant him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Um, when you'll be like us, which is why I mentioned the divine dance, it couldn't be done without the community. So to fulfill Jesus' joy, I can't do without a particular community. And when that wasn't my connection, when salvation was always an individual thing, I would have to fight to create reasons to be around church simply because I was good, so this was a bonus. I was good, so that could be the step that could be nice to have, but not necessary. And that's where it's really started to sit with me in this, is I think for the Gospel of John, the call of salvation in John, and the prayer of Jesus always pushes me, prods me, provokes me to say that I actually am not engaging my salvation or experiencing it if it's just a sinner's prayer in isolation. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's some good thoughts. Like, I know for me, like, the, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, like that African, the African parable that we always talk about, um, but it, based on the word Ubuntu, right? Um, the idea that I am because we are, right? And so there's this notion that as a follower of Christ, that there's no real, like, I can follow Jesus by myself. You know, you know, you know, even when Jesus chooses followers, it's not like, well, this is a good one. This is a good one. This will, it's like, here's a community of people who are all following Jesus together. Yeah. And when Jesus, you know, when Jesus ascends, 
it's it's not one person left behind to talk to tell people about the you know the, the good news of Jesus. It's a community that is left behind to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And then like John in this prayer, like it's not hey if you guys love yourself or love God well, it's like if you love each other well, that's what's going to testify to you know to God. That's how the world is going to see God present. And so I, I know for myself, it's always been one of those 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 real challenges to me because I, I like in theory, I'm like I'm all on board. I love that. Like that's that's like I agree 100%. But in practice, um, if I'm really honest, like half the churches that I go to, I get like literally, I literally get anxiety. Like I, I can feel my heart start to beat faster. I start sweating when I when I try to show up and be present because I I feel like an outsider. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like this isn't quote unquote the space where I, like I, I can I can be present you know, you, you know what I mean and yeah. part of it is you know things that have happened in my past where I've just felt rejected by the church or something like that or, or a church community I should say not the church but a church community um but it's also honestly it's part of my own judgmentalism like I have a certain view of well this is what Jesus is and like maybe these people don't hold it the same way I hold it or whatever whatever therefore there's anxiety because there's difference and I think like just skipping ahead in the, in the, in the, in the new Testament to one of my favorite passages, Galatians uh, three twenty eight, where, you know, Paul talks about the oneness, like we are one in Christ. Um, we're called the oneness, not sameness. And so we actually have to learn how to celebrate our difference. And I think the only place that we can learn how to celebrate difference, the only way we can learn how to actually truly be one in Christ is in the midst of community. And a sinner's prayer doesn't quite get us there. The actual practice of sitting in the tension of community is what gets us there. I, I actually like where you're wrestling with that because um, particularly for John, um, John in the Gospels and whoever wrote the epistles of John, like Jesus' last words were to the community, as you love one another, they'll know you're my disciples. And then he says, as you become unified, everyone will know that I was sent. But as you said, it's not a generic um, disassociation that it's like as long as I'm a good person as long as I'm kind as long as I'm just generous to everybody this is actually speaking specifically to the gathered community so that tension you have of I see I need to invest myself um, I haven't always had good experiences I see I need to invest myself but to make room for myself is to make room for other people so how do I hold that tension I think is is the that big weight in this concept to be able to say it can't be just me insisting on room for me, but like you said, um, the African proverb makes no sense outside of a tribal context that understands the tribe's strength is it's connected to each other. So the I and the we have to be held hand in hand. You can't um, value one over the other. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and I think that's like really hard to do, especially if you're coming from like a spiritual nomad perspective um, mm -hmm. There's a reason why we're drifters, right? There's a reason why we're just, we've, we've been disconnected at some point in our lives, you know, from, from the body of Christ or from, like, you know, our religious tradition. And so to actually say to be rooted is, is more important than even what I believe necessarily or, or whether or not, like, like you know, my, my, my actual sense of, of healing, again, like playing on that Greek word that we use for salvation, I'm uh, blanking on the word off the top of my head, but um, exactly the same word that we use for healing. It's the same word that we use for liberation, right? And so my own sense of liberation, my own sense of healing, also my own sense of salvation, it, it has to come from that collective sense of doing it together. It, it, there is no individual sense there. It, um, like, again, I'm not saying that, like, you know, like, there's, I'm not saying that we, you know, um, a lot of our experience, a lot of the way that we were raised, 
comes from that. Like, did you raise your hand and accept Jesus into your heart? I'm, and I'm not trying to devalue that because I think that's a really important moment because that moment actually says, welcome to the family. Yeah. Right. But so it's not like I accept Jesus in my heart. Now I'm going to go off and chill by myself. It's welcome to the family. And if we're not doing that second step of welcome to the family, we've missed the whole point. Oh, definitely. What, what I really like that welcome to the family idea is in ancient societies, um, each person carried the honor of the whole family household, which is why it was so important that we carry ourselves well. Because we entrust with every person, if you're the patriarch, if you're the father, every person you took into your family, you were actually at risk to ruin your family name. And so for Jesus saying, in extending this dynamic family to everyone and calling us brothers and sisters in the father's house, every person Jesus brings in has a promise and a threat. It can ruin the name depending on how we walk this out. And that to me is like God's reputation is at risk if we don't hold the family name well. And, and it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting. Just, just real quick side note is that like, I, I think we're witnessing that on a global level right now where the global church is looking at the, a particular set of brothers and sisters or, or cousins or however you want, kinfolk, however you want to call them. And it's like, They've held sway for so long because they've, they've been the loudest, they've been the richest, they've been the most resourced. Um, but they're like, wait a minute, you are actually dishonoring the name of God by the way that you are holding onto your faith, the way that you are rejecting other people, the way that you're treating other people, the way you're doing, you know, so on and so on. And so we're, we're actually seeing this, this call to repentance from the global body of Christ to a subset of our, our brothers and sisters saying, you guys actually need to get your stuff together because you are dishonoring our father's name, right? Mm -hmm. and I, or our family's name. And I think it's actually a really cool moment because for a long time, the global body of Christ, even though like, you know, it, it by 90%, it outstrips, or 95%, it outstrips this one subset. This one subset has always had the microphone in, in, in modern times. And so just to see this dynamic shift start to happen, and, and it's not like, well, let's, let's reject them. They're not, they're not brothers and sisters. It's like, our brothers and sisters, we need to win them back for Christ. And I, and I, 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 like for me at least, I've been seeing that happen on a global stage, which I think is actually a really cool notion of what it means to be part of the family, but also to hold the family name well. Well, I know for myself, like, I've always loved that, that image, like Harry Carissa, she brought that up in, 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 when you were giving us the overview and the context, mm -hmm. um, and that word Pericrisis, like that divine dance idea. Um, and I've always loved that image because it was the first time that this notion of like, you know, the multiplicity of God, like, you know, three and one, one, and, you know, one and three, that kind of stuff, like made sense to me because like anytime, if you've ever watched like people dancing together, um, whether it's one person or even a group of people holding hands and, and dancing and, and enjoying themselves, like there, there's something that, that, that brings them in unison, whether it's, whether it's the beat, you know I mean? Like the, the beat from the instrumental, whether it's the actual joining of hands and dancing around together, it's the song or whatever. There's something that, that creates this fabric of oneness. And, 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 and it's always this open invitation. Cause like, I don't know, like, if, if, like I'm just trying to think like for me growing up, I grew up, I used to go to like clubs and stuff like that all the time, but, like, you know, when that one song came on, 
Like you can see everybody just chilling. Everybody's individuals by themselves. But then when that one song came on that everybody liked, you saw the whole place move in unison all of a sudden. And I, and I kind of think like the, like the body of Christ is like that moment when the beat drops in the club and everybody begins to move in unison together. You know what I mean? And I think that's what it's like to be invited into the, into the divine dance is that the divine dance is happening and all of a sudden we pick up on the instrumental. That's how we hear the beat drop and we're like, we just can't help but move to it. No, um, I was raised a bit differently. Dancing wasn't always allowed. So <laughs> unless it was square. Out, unless it was square. <laughs> exactly. And about three feet separation, you have to leave enough room for the Holy Spirit. Um, and I remember this one time distinctly to where I was out shooting pool and this this pub would always try to make itself a quasi club on the weekends, but I was there for the pool table. A song came out that was called the Cupid Shuffle, which everyone had to do. And a person saw me not dancing, and she came over and grabbed me. He's like, no, you have to come out. I was like, I don't know this song. I don't know this dance. I shoot pool. She laughed. I was like, well, you're dancing now. And it was very obvious I didn't know the dance, which that's the thing when it comes to what does it look like to join the divine dance? You look like an idiot at first. Even on songs that go to the left, to the left, to the left, you don't have to make up your moves. You look dumb. And it took somebody actually bringing me in and her forcing me onto the dance floor and saying no, and she walked me through the steps. But what does it look like to join that divine dance is like one, like Carl said, it, when you're in those environments, when you don't dance, it's immediately visible. When you don't know the song, when you don't know the rhythm of what's happening, it shows that you're kind of out of step. And the only way in is to accept somebody else's guide of here's the appropriate way to step into the dance in this environment. Because to be honest, um, like Carl made the joke about square dancing, you don't step into the dance in the same way in a square dance as you did in the Cupid Shuffle. You don't do that in the same way if you're doing salsa, if you're doing merengue, if you're doing ballroom. There's different ways to enter the dance, but it's all dancing. And if you see dancing done well, the hierarchy that sometimes we experience in society fall away because all you know is that some people are in step, some people are out of step, some people can hear the music, feel the rhythm. Some people haven't quite picked up on when to move yet but it's a learning curve of exposure and experience. And I'd say in the divine dance that we hear within John about learning how to let go of some of the boundaries to extend love beyond the groups that we thought were the ones that we should be around. Definitely. Um, I, and I love, I love just even like just the visuals that you were putting to that because like, you know, I, I can think of like when, when you're trying to teach a little kid how to dance, right? Like, like the little kid, like they, they you know, Bless their heart, they're not feeling the beat. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you, when you take their hands and you move to the beat with them, they learn to hear the song. They learn to hear the rhythm. They learn to hear the beat. Um, but they have to be guided into it. And I think that's that, that's that invitation part. There's some of us, we've been in the body, like we've been in the dance for a long time. Um, and for whatever reason, we feel like, well, if you can't dance as good as me, then you can't be part of the dance versus being like, you know what? It's cute that you're trying. Let me show you how to do this as well. And we guide each other in the mix of it. You know what I mean? Because there's a certain sense of liberation that I can learn from watching a child dance 
that, that an adult can't have unless they watch a child dance. And all of a sudden they become free as they watch this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's a certain sense of feeling the rhythm that a child can't have unless they're showing it by, by someone who's been in the dance for a while. And I think we have, like there's that mutuality that happens in the midst of the dance. Like, like, like it, 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 we're, we're better because we come together to do it, you know? No, and you actually point out something that's really beautiful in this when we're asking the question, what does it look like to join the divine dance? Sometimes we ask these questions and we try to have everyone enter from the same space as though our backgrounds are all the same and we're all the same level of maturity, experience, conversation, reading. And when you said ha allowing a kid to step in versus another adult to step in, or even one who's been around dancing long enough that you're like, how do you not hear this? That you change what you do in the dance. Joining for some looks like letting yourself be the child and step out of offbeat and sing out of key. Joining for others is holding yourself back a little bit so that other people can participate. Because if you're the one that's just stunting showing off and the divine dance now highlights you only, there's not really a dance, it's a performance. Yeah. The dance holds space for multiple levels to come in. And sometimes that looks like risk for you. Sometimes it looks like restraint for you. Yeah. No, man, it's, it's funny, man. Again, because like, as you're saying that, like, I can literally picture homies that I grew up with, um, like where, like, they were really good dancers. And like, 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 you know what I mean? But they could never dance with people because they were so busy trying to be like the best dancer. And so, like, the song would come on, and they're sitting there busting all these different moves out, and, like, you know, whether it's breakdance or whether it's, like, sea walking or something like that or, or whatever. Like, it shows how old I am. But, <laughs> like, they, 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 it looks cool, but it's like, man, you're doing that by yourself because everybody else is just two-stepping. Everybody else is just, is just kind of moving to the beat a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I'm like, I'd rather be the person dancing with other people than the person that can sea walk, partly because I can't sea walk ever. You know what I'm saying? But you know what I'm saying? There's that whole nine, right? So. Oh, man, you make me realize how not cool I was. Because I remember um, another girl tried to get me into dancing. And she's like, oh, show me how you sea walk. And I looked at her just stupefied and was like, what? She's like, sea walk? Like, as opposed to A and B? <laughs> Yeah, see what Christ got embarrassed walk. for me. Christ, Christ walk. Everyone Christ walk. There. It's, it's my crosswalk. Show <laughs> me how you bear your cross. <laughs> oh. For me, the way I've experienced this idea of a consumeristic, like you said, um, you had mentioned you look around a little bit judgy. Is it's affected me some in saying whatever new nerd tip I'm on, whatever new system of reading, um, critical theory engagement with the text, I've had a hard time joining when I hear them and go, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Um, you can't do that with the text. Or I'll hear someone say something and it, there's always those almost litmus tests in the mind because with the Jesus and me moment kind of thinking, this consumeristic isolation centers prayer moments, it is perfectly acceptable, just, and right for me to be faithful on my own. As opposed to saying it must be Jesus and we. So that means it, it, it almost makes me fight this tendency to have a bunch of litmus tests to say, have you read these people? Have you understood these? Do you accept this group? Um, 
how do you enter and engage? And you can say yes on three out of four of them. Let, let's be gracious. I don't make you say yes to all of them. But at least if, if you have a passing grade on my test, then I can accept it. But there's always going to come that moment that maybe you got one mark too many. And as I've had that tendency, which I've actually come a long way to come out of, and it's been the most life-giving thing to be able to experience Jesus in places I never thought I would see Jesus coming, be able to experience voices, communities, and expressions that weren't natural to my own. It's grown and expanded me. Jesus and we is way more life-giving. But Jesus and me always has a test, has a provocative question that's a leading question, not an exploration question, that makes sure that at the end of the day, I'm usually isolated because my my faith can't, can't coexist with anything that doesn't look like me. So the ones that do look like me, we're still in isolation because our connection is so fickle that the slightest disagreement breaks the family. Mm, that's good, man. Yeah, I think like, like it's, it's been interesting watching like, like, like that question of consumerist Christianity and kind of going through COVID, right? Because what I've seen a lot of churches do, and again, this is not a critique, it's like I'm not trying to say they're good, bad, or anything like that, but what I've seen a lot of churches struggle with, a lot of local communities struggle with, is that idea of, well, we're gonna just, we're gonna go online, we're gonna do worship online, we're gonna preach online, we're gonna do basic, you know, you know what I mean? We're gonna become one of literally thousands of churches who migrated online at the same time, also with the hundreds of churches that are already doing online really well, um, and then with the like maybe 20 churches that have a massive online audience, right? So like, like that scale of, of, of different things. And what I've, what I've seen happen is, well, like, 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 we, like the medium, like we can't help the medium, COVID, social distancing, isolation, self-isolation, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if, but what we re, what realize is that like that local performance notion that if, if it's, if a church is just about putting on a good show, well, there's someone else right now that's putting on a better show and it's more accessible than ever. Right, like just in, in all honesty, and 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 I've literally ta I've talked to tons of pastors, tons of tons of people who pastors complaining that like our our online attendance we we saw it go like this, and we once had three hundred people show up to our online stream. We have now thirty people show up to our online stream. Where did they go? You know, and other churches that are like you know um, that are that are like the big name superstar pastors. It's like, yeah, our online attendance went like this. It's like, well, where do those people come from? It's, they're not, they, you know, you know, they're not new. They're not people who like, quote unquote, just gave their lives to Jesus, right? Like, yeah, it's 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 really it's like it's like the hyper individualistic thing that comes out of consumer consumeristic Christianity, um, and 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 so it's like I, I think when when communities focus on that Jesus and me part, and like we we cater to that Jesus and me kind of Christianity, um. That's what happens, right? Honestly, like, it, like, like reality is that the internet kind of leveled the playing field. Everybody could put on a good show. If you didn't put on a good show, we're gonna go with the good show guys. Um, but what I've also seen happen is that other communities, um, you know, like folks as well, you know, you know, you know what I mean. Have like, honestly, we have a really crappy show. If you're if you're showing up to folks for the show, uh, something is wrong with you. Like, like straight up. <laughs> Bro, bro, I just want to interrupt for one moment to say, when you have parents show up to their little kids' performances, like when I used to work in a small church in California, our Christmas pageant wasn't top shelf, but you had 50 cameras going off anyways. 
Sometimes you come because it's adorable, not quality. That's true. part of family. So that, there's that, nothing that's, wrong that's with true. you. You just already connected to your inner grandparent. And you're like, I'm just coming for the show. They tried. Yeah, that only happens like once or twice. You know what I'm saying? Like if you had to show up to your kid's play every single week and your kid sucked, like, you know what? My kid just ain't going to be in acting anymore. Like, they're not going to be part of this play anymore. Let me put them in math or something that they're good at. You know what I'm saying? Like, straight up. I'm, I'm just, like, oh, maybe I'm a bad parent. You know what I mean? I, I don't have any kids, but maybe I just... No, dude, you do Enneagram. You're just a four. <laughs> right? But you, you feel me on that. But but I think, like, what, like but then the difference is, is that, um, honestly, like, we don't really care about the show. That's the thing. It's like, like, mm-hmm. like, like I, as you said, I'm an Enneagram four. Aesthetics matter to me. And I've had to let go of a lot of that because it's like, you know what, can I, I we, can we either, we can be clear or we can be kind of, we can be kind of uh, aesthetically pleasing. Um, there's not, we can't, we, we try to do all of it at once. We can't mm-hmm. always do it at once. And so like we've chosen to be clear and conversational and community focused first and foremost over anything else. And I think that's been, I think like that, that, there's a different, a different driver because all of a sudden like my, my, my reason for showing up is not because you put on a good show. It's because we actually matter together. We are, mm-hmm. it, it's about we. And I, and I know for myself, like that's been a huge shift in my own like theology, like theology around church. Like, like when people use the language of ecclesiology is that before it was like, you know, you know both of us, we worked for, for, for a mega church, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well, they, the, the claim was 15,000 people on a weekend. I don't know actually how many people it was, but 15,000 people on a weekend. And it was a, massive production every single week mm-hmm. like i remember one of the i remember one of the people that were like that they would head it up they talked about man like in like we basically put on a vegas production every single week they just have to do it once and i was like and i'm like oh, wow that's really impressive and, and it was impressive but when the show stopped being the best show in town because there's other good shows in town now even better shows in town you just watch those numbers dwindle and i and i know for me like just watching those things happen over and over again. It's like, like you can predict it happen. You can, like, like this is when the cycle is going to break. Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it just says something else has to be the, has to be the marker. Something else has to matter. And I think that's the thing about community. So like community can't happen, honestly, in that, at that scale. Um, you can make communities at that scale, but community happens at a certain scale. And I think when, 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 the, when, when individual pockets of the body of Christ, when we talk about, like you know, the the John's prayer is a call into community. Salvation happens within community. Um, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that. Like, how many people can you get on a Zoom call and still have a conversation with? How many people can you have around your your table and ha- and actually do life with? You know that kind that kind of mm-hmm. moment. And, and so, I don't know if I'm answering that question fully because I like. No, probably... you actually flipped the question because <laughs> it was how how has the movement from. Um, the inevitable fallout moved us to the Jesus and me instead of Jesus and we. And you said, wow, Jesus and me sucks. Let's move to Jesus and we. Yeah. But the good thing you're pointing out is like one, um, what Carl's saying is like, we value aesthetics and like we hope in folks as we go forward, as we invest ourselves in as we do, that we can do incremental improvements and we could actually have a place for thriving arts production value and the place to show these things because that's not the poor part. 
Um, the poor part in the consumeristic mindset actually has to do with how we situate ourselves within the community. Because it's, we need to find our value added place within community. Um, and moving towards we actually draws us, calls us, implores us into the ability to create so that we can say, um, we may not be the most polished, but we'll be the most communal and together. And we'll always have ways to move towards polishing comes in time. Just like when you learn how to dance, you become good as you practice. And our hope is not to say that we're clumsy and isn't that something to celebrate. Our hope is to say we're communal, we're we focused. And you know what, we're gonna find our grace. We're gonna find our rhythm as we enter into the movements, as we move back to a we from a me, like, G, like Carl was talking about, that we don't want it to be to where we can distance ourselves and say, what product are you going to give me? And we can say, what can we create together? So it moves from product to performance art. It moves from Vegas show to experiential moment that all of us come to this like Christ moment together. At this point, we like to try to summarize because we touched on a lot of things. But as we walk through the um, last prayer of Jesus, today we ask the head question of what does it look like when my salvation is connected to being present within a particular community and not a sinner's prayer? And we discovered that once we move from sinner's prayer to actual wider community, that we experience a salvation talked about in John to where my salvation is connected to ours and that we get this rich dynamic, not reducible to the individual points, but enabling us to be able to experience, to express and to celebrate the differentness around us as we gather around the table. What does it look like for us to join the divine dance with Jesus and the Father? And we discovered it looks different depending on how you're stepping in, what kind of dance you're used to, what kind of music you hear. But at first, it always looked awkward. And then relationally, we get invited in. As we're shown, how do we step in rhythm? How do we know this new song? But that song is a live and dynamic experience that allows all of us to invite each other in. Rather than try to stunt to take center stage, we create space for multiple people to partner together. Within the heart and the reflective moment, one of the side effects of consumeristic Christianity is when something inevitably comes that upsets us, it becomes Jesus and me instead of Jesus and we. How have we experienced this tendency? And actually, we're just going to focus a little bit on what Carl said in this, because for myself, we got to discuss a little bit. I've always walked around with a litmus test, but Carl focused our attention on going the other direction in it. And as we move from litmus test to the we, as we start saying, I'll let go of the places that I'm going to say, these things keep me out and look for places of collaboration. We discovered that there's a promise and a possibility within the community to the degree that we're willing to see the we being more important than the I. Not that it subordinates it, but that we say, I'm invested in the we, so I will be present. I'm invested in the we. So I'll make sure that as I invest myself with my time, my treasures and my talents, that we may not be the most polished, but we'll learn how to dance together given time. And we'll be closing off 
in the more live dialogue with the hands question, or how can we invest ourselves in and expand the areas we are rooted in locally and the family of folks? Because this only matters, learning how to dance only matters as we join other people dancing. Learning how to hear the music only matters if we can make it tangible and invite other people in to the dance with Jesus and the Father.